This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. Let's go to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. We're talking with the great Terry Francona. I know everybody poo-poos baseball fights. They're like, hey, you go out there and everybody's just talking yeah. and shoving. But when you get out there, man, those guys are big. They they get after yeah. it. And when they get after it, man, look out. It makes you a little nervous. Robin Ventura still won't talk about Nolan Ryan to, to this day. <laughs> he wants nothing with that conversation. Listen to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast as we get ready for the Friday uh, portion of the Sweet 16 after a uh, really terrific Thursday night. I mean, we got a pretty good game, one blowout, and two classics, absolute classics. Let's start with UConn, which just demolished Arkansas. UConn has played so well in this tournament. Uh, and they're, you know, before the tournament started, we talked to them being one of the teams that could win it all. Uh, there were a bunch of those in the West. Uh, UConn just played absolutely brilliantly. They were overpowering. When they hit their threes and go to the boards the way they can with their size, they, they, can, they can beat anybody, and they have been very, very impressive. Then you had Florida Atlantic, which after a sluggish first half, uh, came back with a big second half and beat Tennessee. So there's Florida Atlantic put it, making a name for itself. It came into the tournament having won 31 games, uh, beat Memphis State on a last-second shot, withstood FDU, and now beats Tennessee to get a chance to play against Kansas State. Then we have Kansas State, which has become the darling of the tournament because of the presence of their 5'8 point guard, uh, Marcus Noel. And Marcus Noel has been just unbelievable. I mean, his performance last night, and I talked about how I thought he would light up the garden and how they'd go crazy for his passes. It was even so much more than I ever could have thought of, uh, even especially after he twists the ankle. I mean, his performance was one of the great NCAA tournament performances ever. Uh, I really don't think it's overstating it. Uh, To have the game he had last night, including a record-breaking number of assists to make the plays he made late in the game. I mean, it was remarkable what he did and what what he's been able to do in this tournament, and he has put on an absolute show. I mean, some of the passes, I, 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 this is dating myself, and you're going to have to go back a ways, but I made this point yesterday. I have not seen anybody pass like him since the days of Ernie Di Gregorio, which is going back into the 70s. So, I mean, his passing is so good and so electrifying. I mean, it just it takes you out of your seat. It's that good. I mean, and he has become an unstoppable force at 5'8". Point guards can dominate this tournament more than any other position, and you are seeing that because he was the difference in the game. Michigan State did a lot of things right last night. They just couldn't stop him. 
They just could not stop him at any key point. He did whatever he wanted to do. I mean, and even the one run they made when he left the game because it looked like he was hurt, uh, that's when Michigan State took over the game and made an 11-2 run. He comes back in the game, and they, they come flying right back, win the game in overtime, a classic game. They got great performances themselves from Hoggard and from Hauser and from Walker, but uh, Marcus Knowles' perform- Marcus Knowles' performance last night was unbelievable. Twenty points, nineteen assists, five steals, uh, just some amazing passes. And Kansas State now finds itself. And let's be honest, I felt like a lot of people felt that Kansas State was uh, seated above where they belonged as a three seed, but we did not. We knew this kid was good. We did not understand the the level to which he was going to dominate the tournament. And he has dominated the tournament. And I don't see any reason why he wouldn't dominate the regional final. It's going to be a tall order for Florida Atlantic to stop him because nobody else has been able to stop him. Why would they be able to stop him? So uh, if he's in the final four, he will be one of the great stories. He's already one of the great stories. But if he can carry this one more game and take this show to the final four, it will be one for the ages. It really will. And then you have UCLA and Gonzaga. And UCLA, as you know, is a team that I thought would win the championship two weeks ago. They lost two players. They lost two. They're not a deep team to begin with, and they lost two starters. And it has absolutely crippled them. And they got out to a 13-point lead at the half against Gonzaga. And... You wondered about fatigue because Gonzaga was much bigger and Gonzaga could pound the boards and Gonzaga was deeper. And Gonzaga did the right thing. They wore them down. And then in the middle of the game, they wore them out. Uh, UCLA went 12 minutes without a, without a field goal. They got a couple of free throws in there. Uh, they saw their lead go from plus 13 at the half to 10 points behind with two minutes left. And you thought, hey, UCLA's, I thought with five minutes left, UCLA's out on their feet. They're, every shot is short. They're getting pounded on the glass 44 to 22. Uh, Timmy's scoring at will inside. Um, I thought, hey, they ran out of gas. There's nothing they can do. They're just short players. They, you know, they didn't have a bench, and they lost two key players, including the defensive player of the year, their number two rebounder, their big man. They lost everything. They really are playing with two top guys missing. And then they make a stand that turned this game into an all-time classic. I mean, they make a stand from 10 points down with two minutes left to where they take the lead with 12 seconds left on a three. And now you're like, UCLA is going to pull this game out. This is going to be one of the great wins of all time. And then they hit a 30-foot three and win the game. Uh, Gonzaga comes down. It was a play that they felt very comfortable with. They talked about after the game how it's what they wanted. Uh, You know, they said, we practice this play in practice all the time. Uh, We're very comfortable with Strother taking it. He's a big three-point shooter. Last night he was three of eight from three for the game, and he knocked down that last shot from 30 feet 
And, hey, that was the game winner. They came up the court. They got the ball stripped. They hit a free throw with one second left. UCLA actually got a three off. They ran a really good play inbounding with 1.7 left. And they actually got, Campbell actually got a very good look from 30 feet and it back rimmed. So they could have sent the game into overtime at that point because down the stretch, Gonzaga did miss some free throws and take that into account when they play UConn because they did miss a bunch of free throws down the stretch. And the one thing neither team, UCLA or Gonzaga does uh, and the inside game in this game is going to be fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. You know, because of what Gonzaga has and what UConn has. And, you know, Timmy's had an incredible career. And he had a great game last night. He had 36 points and 13 rebounds. But he missed a couple of critical free throws down the stretch. And Gonzaga missed some critical free throws down the stretch. Uh, and allowed UCLA back in the game and UCLA made some plays. They made a couple of conventional three point plays and then they made a a three finally and took the lead with 12 seconds left, but they came down and they hit the three and they went on to win the game by three points. in what was an absolute classic 79 76 for UCLA to come back dead on their feet. They showed you what kind of championship team they were. They were a wonderful team, you know, even after the game, the Gonzaga guys said, hey, this is a great team we played. You know, this was a, a game that was just back and forth all night, and they were shorthanded, and they were incredibly shorthanded. And so they fall in a game that they battle back to take the lead with 12 seconds left. So two classics. The UCLA-Gonzaga game turns into a classic. Gonzaga wins it. They go on to play UConn in the uh, regional final. And then, of course, Kansas State with an overtime win against Michigan State. And Michigan State did a lot of good things, made a lot of shots, did some really heroic stuff on their own part. Uh, And now Kansas State is one step away from the Final Four as they will play uh, the upstart Florida Atlantic team, which was a nine seed, beat Memphis. You know, they trailed Memphis with 10 seconds left, stole the ball, and then scored with two seconds left to win by a point. And then FDU, they withstood that game when everyone was rooting for FDU, and now they beat Tennessee. So Kansas State and Florida and uh, Florida Atlantic in the uh, Eastern, in the East Regional at the Garden, and then UConn and Gonzaga in the West. And now we'll find out what happens as uh, the favorites in the tournament take to the floor tonight. Alabama. The favorite to win it all gets San Diego State, while Creighton is a 10-point favorite over uh, Cinderella-Princeton. That's the two games in the South. And then Houston gets Miami, a good Miami team, and uh, Texas gets a dangerous Xavier team. Uh, Alabama is a odds-on favorite. It'll be shocking if they don't win that bracket. I think they will. And I think we're headed for a Houston-Texas game. I thought we were headed for that. That'll be one of the games of the tournament. I thought UConn-UCLA would be one of the games of the tournament, but UConn-Gonzaga is going to be equally good because Gonzaga is a terrific team also. So that's going to be a wonderful regional final. And if you have Houston and Texas, that will be a wonderful regional final. I think Texas will win. I think Houston will win. I think Bama will win. I think the favorites will win tonight. I don't know if they'll all cover. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying they all will win the games tonight. 
I think that you're going to have Alabama against Creighton and again, Houston against Texas uh, in the finals. But hey, Princeton has been a darling so far. But you know what? Creighton's the type of team that is going to play this very smart. They have size. They have shooters. They're going to score. They're going to pose real offensive problems to Princeton. And they've had five days to prepare for Princeton. So Princeton's not going to catch them by surprise. San Diego State is going to have to prove it can score against Alabama's defense. Alabama can beat you on both ends of the floor. They're one of the teams that can beat you offensively and beat you defensively. Houston can do that, but Houston's offense isn't as good as Alabama's. Texas can do it, but their offense isn't as good as Alabama's. But those teams can play defense on a very, very high level. And UConn has shown right along, no team in the tournament has been more impressive than UConn has been. And UConn is a team that is gaining a lot of respect and a lot of attention in the tournament. And right now, I think a lot of people are jumping on the UConn bandwagon and thinking UConn has a very good chance to win this thing. And why not? They're playing great. You haven't seen Alabama give you their best game yet. Houston gave you their best game in the second half when they trailed Auburn by 10 with two players hurt, including their first team, All-America Sasa. And they came back and played one of the great second halves that you'll ever see in the tournament, putting forth an incredible performance, scoring 50 points, you know, almost beating them by 30 points in the second half, putting on really an incredible show in that game. And, you know, it was a game that just uh, had impressed everybody. I thought Houston was in big trouble. I thought they were banged up, and I thought maybe they didn't think they could get it done. Instead, they go out in Birmingham, which is home country for Auburn. Auburn has a great first half. They have a 10-point lead, and Houston goes out and goes 50-23 on them in the second half in as impressive a half as you could play. So we've seen it in Spurs from Alabama. We've seen it in Spurs from Houston. Uh, Texas has answered when they had an answer, and UConn has been ultra, ultra impressive. But nobody has stolen the show in this tournament like the little 5'8 point guard uh, who just absolutely won the hearts of the garden last night with an incredible, incredible performance. Marcus Noel has just been amazing in this tournament. He was a third-team All-America choice. He was an All-League guy. He was third-team uh, All-America. He's a five-foot-eight kid, and he is one of the great pure passes that we have ever seen in college basketball. That's how good he is with the ball. He is stunning with the ball, and the play he made where the coach was calling a play and he looks like he's arguing with the coach about what play to call. And then the cut to the basket by Johnson and the alley-oop was one of the stunning plays you will ever see. And they had a lot of guys make a lot of big plays in that game. You know, Masood came off and made some big baskets. His threes were daggers. Johnson had 22 points. You know, um, Masood made some really um, big, big threes in that game. And 
while Kansas State didn't shoot well from the foul line, they shot well from both teams shot well from the three point range because uh, Kansas State shot 46% from three and Michigan State shot 52% from three. And Michigan State shot 50 from the floor. They shot 80 from the foul line. They shot 52 from three and they still lost. They lost because they couldn't stop a 5'8 point guard who was a magician. So that's where we are. We are uh, another step closer to a Final Four. And like I said, uh, UConn, very impressive. Kansas State, ultra impressive. Gonzaga wins a classic against UCLA. And Florida Atlantic just keeps on winning. Just keeps on winning and puts forth another impressive performance with a good second half against a very good Tennessee defense. They had trouble with Tennessee in the first half. Tennessee tries to get you into an ugly game. That's what their game plan is. They want to get you into an ugly defensive game and slug it out, and they had that in the first half when they were up 27-22, but then Florida Atlantic outscored them 40-28 to in the second half. You know, made some threes when they had to. These game, you know, nobody shot well in that game. But the bottom line is, they made some plays and they took the game away from Tennessee in the second half and went on to a victory. So very impressive showing for Florida Atlantic, uh, and of course, what uh, Noel has done. Noel's done in this tournament has been utterly amazing. One of the great individual performances in the history of this tournament. And I thought uh, last night was one of the great, great performances I've ever seen from a player in the NCAA tournament, ever. Remember, for all of your wagering needs during the tournament, at the start of the baseball season, if you want to, you know, bet who's going to go to the World Series, you want to bet who's going to win a batting crown, you want to bet who's going to win the Cy Young Award, who's going to win the home run title, whatever, Whatever you want to wager on or just daily wagering, Vet Rivers in New York and New Jersey, Play Sugar House in Connecticut. So go there for all of your wagering needs. Uh, and, again, um, they'll be there providing you with everything as we get into a very, very big part of the sports year coming up as we are right around the corner from the Masters, right around the corner from opening day the hockey and basketball playoffs right around the corner also, and the Derby and the Triple Crown just uh, around the corner too. So really um, a busy time and a good time to connect with the folks at Vet Rivers. All right, let's get some emails in. You go to MikeFrancesaPodcast at gmail.com to send us some emails. Let's finish up with some emails today. We'll be back with you Saturday and Sunday during the NCAA tournament right through, as we promised you we would do. All right, Patrick starts with, uh, we see teams win championships without their best overall uh, team under a gay coach. Would this Gonzaga team be an example of that? This is not Gonzaga's best team. Gonzaga's always falls short, have, has fallen short. This team is dangerous. I thought there were four teams in the West that could win the title. UCLA, Gonzaga, UConn, and Kansas could all win the title before the year started. I thought there were four teams in that bracket, 
and no other bracket had more than two teams that could win the title. But they had four in the West. And UConn has shown that. Kansas wasn't there where their coach wasn't there. Uh, Gonzaga and UCLA showed it with the Classic. So I think you're seeing that. And Gonzaga, I think I have to favor UConn. I think they're overall a little stronger and a little better at shooting the three than uh, Gonzaga. I think it could it should be a very good game, but I think UConn's going to the Final Four. Eric and East Hartford. Calhoun or Izzo in March, who are you taking? Listen, I'd be happy with either one. Izzo, if you go, I thought the best big game coach ever was Bob Knight. When his team was focused and there, and he was focused and there, he won. When he had good teams, they won. Okay? Calhoun is the one who's really underrated. He doesn't get enough attention. He's a great big game coach. But if you go statistically by what guy improves his seed more than anybody else, so basically what the expectation is, expectation is you're this seed, you're expected to win this many games, and you go past that by the most games. The guy who has done that the most in the history of the NCAA tournament is Izzo. So like this year, he took a seven, and he took him to the Sweet 16, and he lost. That's not where the seven's supposed to go. Seven's supposed to win one game. It's not supposed to win two games. So he always exceeds, and if you go by statistics, he's the – He's only won one championship in his life, but he has exceeded year by year his seed by more than any other coach. You know, a lot of guys like Krzyzewski, you know, Wooden, they had ones all the time. So they had great expectations because they had number one seeds all the time. But I'll take Calhoun or Rizzo, but the guy who does it the best as far as just game in, game out, now, in a championship game, Calhoun's been spectacular in championship games. Stephen, most Knicks fans would view a first-round victory as a successful season. Anything beyond that would be playing with house money. I agree with that premise. However, as we look to the offseason with the glaring need to land a true number one option, do you see the Knicks trying to package together multiple assets Listen, it is very hard to land a star in this league. It is very hard to land a true number one option. They have a good leader and a number two option in Brunson. I think he fits that bill dramatically. I think that this team has improved because of him and then the trade for Hart. I'm not a Randall fan. He's not a true number one option, as we know. Um, It's like I said, it's very difficult to get that one option. It really is. It almost has to fall on your lap. It's a hard thing to do. So the idea that you think you can trade for, it's not easy to do. It really isn't. Uh, Tariq, Zion was heralded coming out of Duke. While he has shown flash of greatness, do you think he eventually will be a bust? Well, listen, if you remember when I was on the air, I talked about Williamson. I told you. And I got ridiculed for saying that I would have taken Morant over him in the draft and that I thought that he would have tremendous problems physically in the pros. 
Listen, when you're that big in college, you're only going to get bigger. And it doesn't work. If he doesn't get his size under control, he will never, ever be anything except a guy who basically never got close because of injuries to what he was supposed to be. First of all, the game is played away from Williamson. The one thing Williamson does very well that plays against who he is is he passes brilliantly. He is a guy who you know, can rebound, score, and tight. Okay, but he's also a superb passer. He's got talent, but I told you from the beginning, if you listen to me, and I got, I got people were calling him the best thing since LeBron. I said, you're out of your mind. This guy's going to struggle, and he has struggled mightily. So my call on uh, Williamson has been dead on, and very few people had it. But I just felt that he was too big. And now he just never plays. He never plays. George, uh, nowadays sports talk centers around uh, the modern player when discussing all-time greats. Uh, how, do you, uh, how do you compare players like Bob Lilly or Joe Green comparing them to, say, Aaron Donald or another lineman? Um, you got to understand as we get to a new generation, that generation is going to talk about the players they've seen and the players they've experienced. They're not going to talk about the guys they didn't see. So you're not going to have guys now talk about Deacon Jones or talk about Buck Buchanan or Bob Lilly or talk even in the near future about LT because of the fact that they just Think about the guy who is the modern player. He's the best. Well, it's not always so. But really, it's, I, I've always felt, and this, listen, sports is about arguments and stuff like that. So they're fun and they can't be taken too seriously. But understand that when you try to compare people from generations, it's very difficult because the game morphs dramatically. The NFL game today is so different from the NFL game of the 60s that you have to take that into account. The, the, the defensive player now is a specialist. He wasn't a specialist then. They wanted him to be a guy who did everything. Played the run, played the pass, rushed the quarterback. They now have everybody is a specialist. That's the way the game is gone. And so to compare guys, you're going to diminish the guys who were from the 60s now. Hey, I asked Tom Landry in an interview I did with him. And I was honored to do a couple of interviews with Tom Landry because I had great respect for him. And I said, Coach, he's the best player you ever coached and he said he didn't even have to hesitate he said I've only had one perfect player and his name was Bob Louie and if you don't know the name look it up and he said Bob Louie was a perfect player and that's coming from one of the great coaches of all time that is as high a compliment as you can get 
And he meant in terms of attitude, game preparation, performance, consistency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Jake and Montclair. Uh, Mike, do you agree with people who have recently said that Atani is the best player in the history of baseball? Not even in a little bit do I agree with that. I don't think he's done anywhere near enough to be called that. I think that is ridiculous. I'm sorry. You know what? Check out what Babe Ruth did before you're going to tell me what, what Atani did. Go look at Babe Ruth's pitching statistics in the regular season, in the World Series, career-wise, and then look at his offense and then tell me how you would possibly think that Atani was better than Babe Ruth. Doesn't make any sense. People say a lot of silly things. That's a silly thing. Uh, this is from Kyle. What do you think is a more impressive achievement? The Bills making four consecutive Super Bowls or an NFL franchise winning one Super Bowl? Making it to four straight seems so improbable now. Um, I know that coaches have told me that the thing that was accomplished that does not get anywhere near the credit that it deserves is the Bills making it to four consecutive Super Bowls. They said the odds on doing that and what you have to do to accomplish that, four straight years, did they get the bounce of the ball? No. In two Super Bowls, they were blown out. In two, they easily could have won. They didn't win any. Uh, But I know that... Coaches have felt that was an incredible performance and really accomplishment to get there four straight years. So I would say it's much more impressive to win, to go to four straight and lose, even though as frustrating as that is, than to just win one. One, Winning one is random. Uh, Getting there four straight times, you can say that they just got a little unlucky, and they did. The Jets, he... uh, Keep adding players, but still have no quarterback. Hey, let's be honest. As we know, we know what's going on here. We know what is at stake here. You just have to be patient and let it play out. The Jets need to come away with Rodgers or they have a hole that they can't fill. But they want to get it on terms that they can live with. So both teams have a big issue here. And that's the way it is. We'll let it play out. But I'm telling you, if the Jets get Rodgers, I firmly believe they will be one of the dynamic teams in the NFL next year. I think there is very little. The only thing I would concern myself with is the offensive line. The defense is terrific. I'm, okay, I'm fine with the wide receivers. I would also, like I said, not trade my first-round pick, and I would draft the tight end out of Notre Dame. He will be a sensation in that offense with Rodgers and with Wilson and with Hall. Hopefully Hall's healthy. A lot of talk I know of the Jets getting uh, Zeke. If they get Zeke, 
as a as a guy who's a running back who understands where the end zone is and can be that other back, I don't have a problem with that. At a reasonable cost, of course. I'm not paying him a lot, any big amount of money, but if he wants to come aboard as that, you know, to me, Hall's the back, though. You just got to hope he's healthy. But you need more than one back. That's all there is to it. But they have dynamic talent. They have a wonderful defense. They have some terrific individual players. If they can put a great quarterback, and he is a great quarterback for all his nuttiness and all his self-centered nonsense, he is a great quarterback. I think it'll be a very special year. I will not be able to wait to watch the Jets play with Rodgers. Now, is it frustrating? Is it worrisome? Is there a backup plan? There's not. There isn't. You know, sometimes you, sometimes you are performing without a net. This is one of those times. There's no net because they have no number two option. Nothing else will work like the one plan that is in place. It needs to be fulfilled, but at the right price. Uh, enjoy your Friday games. Hopefully there's a couple of them are as good as the two classics we had last night. Uh, and we will see you for the regional finals uh, tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli Podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider.